Good morning. It is true, my family does have a weird love for Chick-fil-A. Um, any road trip we have, we've got to uh, stop there every single meal. In fact, this weekend we made a big, I don't know if you ever grew up watching Little House on the Prairie, whenever they would leave and go to the big city, that's kind of like what it feels like when you're from Muskoka, right? So we're down here in Barry, the big city. So we went a little further down to York and we did hit Chick-fil-A. Anyway, whatever, that doesn't matter. Hey, I'm super, uh, super excited to be here with you guys. Um, you, you are a church that is dear to my heart, um, to our heart in Muskoka, as you were uh, instrumental in getting us launched out. Um, and the, the partnership we continue to share. Um, I, your pastor, Todd, I know you love him. I love him as well. He is a, a friend, a mentor. And even as, as we're, we're maybe not a part of the same church organization anymore, Todd and I have always had this thing where, where hey, we're 705. We got to stay together, right? Drake's not writing songs about 705, but still we cling to that pretty tightly. So we, we, I, I, love your, I love your pastor. Um, I love his, um, his passion for the word of God, for his love for you guys and his love for us up in Muskoka and um, his mentorship and friendship to me personally. So thank you. Thank you for being a partner church for us as you continue to pray for us and we continue to pray for you here as well. <clears throat> hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles. Go to Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be in verses 31 to the end of the chapter in Romans chapter 8. And um, the, the title of this message, what, what I'm hoping we're going to get at this morning is this. We, we want to answer the biggest questions of the Christian life. And, and I don't have those answers for you, but, but we're going to see in God's word that those, those answers are there. So if you got your Bibles open, let me read for you right now, uh, starting in verse 31. It says this, it says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is, it's God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hey, let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump into this text together. Heavenly Father, um, I just pray this morning as we, as we unpack what you have for us this morning, God, I, I pray that what, what we don't know this morning, that you would teach us. That what we don't have, we, we come in here lacking that, that, Lord God, what we don't have, but what we need from you, from your word, God, that you would give that to us this morning. What, what we're not, Lord God, that you would make us. We pray this for your glory. We pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, if, if you have kids, you know that, that kids are great at asking questions, are they not? Like, like just incessant with questions. And, and they can ask questions for the mundane of, hey, what's for supper? Or, or hey, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Right? They, they can ask may, may, maybe bigger questions, questions that make you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to think about that. Then you run to Google to find out the answer, right? Why is the sky blue? Right? What's a group of, skunk, what, 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 what's a group of, of foxes called? It's called a skulk. I looked it up, all right? 
Or your kids ask the deeper questions like, like hey, hey, dad, w- will you always love me? And, and I love, I love that, that our heavenly father is also great with questions. That, that he, he's, he's good with us asking questions. In fact, you, you look in scripture and you see questions all over scripture. These, these simple means of God's grace in our lives that, that, that when we ask these questions, we begin to grow in understanding more and more of God's grace. And God's saying, that's an invitation to you. Ask the questions. I want you to draw closer to me. I want you to go deeper in your understanding of, of who I am. Because if you think about it, questions are some of the best ways for us to grow in relationship. You ask people questions. It draws you deeper into relationship. In fact, God, in, in, in James 1, 5, it says this, says, if you lack wisdom, if, you've, if you're going through trials, if things are difficult and you're lacking wisdom, the scripture says, ask God, he'll give it to you freely without reproach. That means this, that, that as you ask those questions, God, why am I going through this right now? That without reproach, it means God's not rolling his eyes. He's not like, oh man, again, another question. Sometimes in God's grace, he, he, won't, he won't answer every question. Sometimes in God's grace, he just says this, hey, trust me in this one. Sometimes God will give us an answer we don't like. And it's in those moments you're challenged with who's really in charge here. Is it me in charge or, or is it God who's in charge? But then there are these questions and we, and we see them here in Romans 8. These, these questions where God says, I want you to know the answer to this question. In fact, God would say this. He would say, ask that one over and over again because I can't wait to give you the answer over and over again because I want you to grow. I want you to grow, God would say, in understanding my grace. From the text this morning, we're, we're going to see that if you're a Christ follower, if you're, if you're, if you're following Christ, if, if your life has been changed because you've given it to Christ, that, that God wants you to know this morning that he's for you, that he loves you, and that nothing, nothing can separate you from that love. So, so here's what I want to do. As we jump into the text this morning, I want to give you the application of, 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 of the sermon right away. What, what, what response are, am I hoping that we have as we go through this text together? If, really, if you're taking notes, I would say it this way. This is the goal of the sermon. Or I'm giving you right up front. This is the whole goal of what we're going to try to accomplish as we read through this text together. The goal of this sermon. Here's the first goal I have for us. The first application is that it would stir worship in us. That when you would hear the truths of what I just read for, the, for us this morning, that, that you would be like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, that's, that's true? Like, like these, these are worship-producing verses. I, I heard a story um, of, of a missionary who brought some pastors who were leading underground churches in, 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 in a communist country in the 80s, okay? And he brought them over to, to North America from, from these communist countries. And then the first thing he did is as he, he brought them over from, from they're behind the Iron Curtain, worshiping underground. And, and he, he brings them to North America and he takes them on their first day into a grocery store to get food for, for what they were going to be doing over the time that they were visiting. And the first thing to do as they walk into this grocery store, they burst into tears, I sometimes do that when I have to shop on a long weekend and all y'all are up in Muskoka at your cottage. I'll do that sometimes as I go into grocery stores. No, that's not what's going on here. They're crying and they actually asked the pastor, they said, they said, does all of this food belong to the government? They couldn't get their heads wrapped around the idea that everything in that grocery store was available to them. That's these verses here. 
It, it's like Paul is walking us through this, this big box door of the gospel and, and we're looking at what's available to us in Christ and we're like, are you kidding me? This, this is all available to me. As, as a Christ follower, uh, this is all mine, that, that we have a new nature. That the spirit of God in us, working through us, that we've been adopted, changed, transformed. The, the spirit of God in us, that, that our suffering even will soon be replaced with glory. That Jesus is praying for us, interceding for us, that, that God's turning all things for his glory, our good. And, and listen, listen, as you start to let that, let, let that affect your heart <coughs> and worship begins to grow, your whole life changes. B behavior changes when your heart is engaged in that way. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, if, if you knew me um, years ago, before I met my wife, Libby, I was kind of the classic stereotypical wilderness dirtbag. Like that, that's kind of what I was. I was, I was just I, a guy who, who led canoe trips, who was out, lived in a tent, probably more than I lived in a home. And my, my kids asked me once, hey dad, like you used to have long hair. Did you ever have dreadlocks? And I would say, not on purpose. <laughs> like just kind of, that's how it went with me, right? And, and if you saw where I lived at the time, you, you would get this understanding that I had this idea that the floor was really just one very low shelf, right? So just everything can just be scattered around. It's all good. And, and then Libby comes into my life. And, and she would come visit, right? She would come up to Muskoka to visit and, 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 and we, you know, for us to, to hang out a little bit. And when she would come to visit, the place I lived was spotless. I brushed my hair even. I wore nice clothes, why did things change? Things change because I have this new love and that, that's how life works. That, that out of the overflow of the passions of our heart, what we love begins to determine the direction of our lives. And the question that comes out of this text, what I'm hoping we, we land on is, is that we would ask this man, who do I love? I mean, these verses are some of the greatest verses to stir our affections and our worship of Jesus. Here's my second goal in this message this morning. First is worship. The second is this, it's encouragement. It's encouragement. That we recognize that discouragement is not unusual for Christians. That we can be discouraged. We, we, can, we can be discouraged. Why? Why sometimes it's our sin that discourages us. We stumble, we fall into sin, but then you read here that, that God's proclaimed you forgiven and free. I mean, that's good news to that discouragement. Sometimes we're discouraged because of suffering. And we read that God's at work in the suffering, that he, he's making us more and more like Jesus, that, that none of that suffering could ever separate us from the love of Christ. I mean, that's good news. There's a story of um, the theologian and reformer, Martin Luther, and, and, and Martin Luther battled depression. Um, there were often times of, of long periods of, of, of discouragement and depression in his life and from his ministry. And there's one time where, where he came home and his wife, Katie, or, or he'd spent weeks just, just discouraged and depressed. And he, and he comes home and, and he greets Katie at the door and, and she's wearing this black dress with a black veil over her face. And he's like, oh man, what else has happened? And he said, who died? And she said, God is dead. Luther pretty upset. He's like, don't you say that. And she goes, oh, I, I'm sorry. Just the way you were acting, I thought God had died. So obviously this is not, not maybe not the most caring wife, but then she gets to the point, right? And, and, 
which he got his attention. In fact, he, his story goes that he went into his office right there and he carved into his desk, he lives. That's this chapter. The, this chapter carved on your heart for those days of discouragement that you would be able to remember. The tomb is empty. The, the throne has a king on it. Jesus is alive. That's a good spot for an amen. I don't know if you guys do the amen thing here, but Jesus is alive, right? Amen. There you go. Right. Okay. Here's the, the, the third thing I hope we gain from this this morning. It's this, it's boldness that we would gain boldness. I mean, these verses are a go-to place when you need to get up off the couch, get on the mission that Christ has called you to, to, to talk about Jesus in, in the world in which you live, to, to live differently than the rest of the world. When the whole world's going the opposite direction, that you'd be encouraged and emboldened to walk out your faith in Christ because you recognize that, man, my eternity is sure. My identity is secure. My mission is sure. All right, so with those goals in mind, let, let's jump into these verses this morning. If you're taking notes, our second point then is this, hard questions with, with life-changing answers. That we, we would see hard questions that have life-changing answers. So, so look at verse 31. We see this first question that we can ask. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? There's a first question, who, who can be against us? Paul says, what should we say then to these things? What are these things? He's likely referring to the rest of chapter eight. A lot of commentators would say this, that, that he's referring to the, all that he's written up to this point, the first seven chapters of Romans, where what has Paul been doing? He's been laying out, we're lost in our sins, separated from God, but God, but God in Christ Jesus brings us to him. So, so what's he saying through seven chapters over and over again? Yes, you're lost in your sin, but I'm for you, pursuing you, changing you. God is for us. And that, I mean, that, that's so amazing to think of that. Who can be against us? God is for me. I mean, I love when I know that somebody's got my back. Right? When you're opposed and someone comes up to you and says, hey, don't worry, man, I, I got your back. Well, when you're discouraged and someone says, man, I understand what you're going through. I'm, I'm here for you. And the gospel is telling us this. If you're in Christ Jesus, the almighty God is for you. So, so pain, hardship, I mean, don't let those things discourage you into believing that, that God is not for you. I and mean, I can imagine in a room this size, there'll be people who are, who you're, you're facing opposition right now. So you could say, really, who can be against me? Man, I got a list of people who are against me. I've got a boss who's against me. And I'm in a relationship where it just seems so antagonistic. I, I, if you're living for Christ, can't, don't you feel so often that all of culture is against you? Or maybe you've got inward struggles or, or addictions or, or chronic health problems or just a, a difficult life in this season. And Paul's saying, listen, I'm not saying you won't face opposition, but in the midst of those big trials, you have an even bigger God. He's saying, if you're a Christ follower, this God is for you. That's the whole message of the book of Romans, that, that the God who's called you, he's, he's changed you, justified you, will glorify you. That God is really for you. And all the powers of hell might come up against you, but they ultimately won't prevail because God's on your side. And you can ask, how, how do I know that? How do I really know if God's on my side? Listen, listen something happened in history 
that shows us God's enduring love, his, his never stopping, never giving up kind of love. Look at verse 32. How do I know that he's for me? Verse 32 says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he also not with him graciously give us all things? How do we know God's for us? It's the cross. Paul's saying this, if, if God gave up Jesus for us, won't he also give us these smaller things? If he's done the cross, he's going to get us to glory. I just heard a story just recently, friends of ours who were working with when, 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 when remember just a little while ago when Afghanistan, that whole thing went down and, and the Taliban was going door to door and, and basically killing Christians. And what, what this family did was they had some connections with some, some politicians in Washington and they started to work out this, this, this way where they, they knew a, an Afghani pastor in Toronto who connected with some of the pastors in Afghanistan and they worked out this whole deal where they, they would get the message out to some of the Christians in Afghanistan. They, they got a plane, a, a jet ordered. They had that flown out. They had all these people secretly come out of the place they were hiding and meet up at this hotel, get onto this plane, escape out of Afghanistan to land in North America. Now, can you imagine this? Imagine after all of that, they, they land in Washington. They, get, they, get, they walk through the airport. They get to customs and customs says to them, oh, by the way, we've got some paperwork you have to fill out and just a fee you need to pay for that. Now, do, do you think that those who were involved in the rescue at that moment, at that moment that they would say, oh man, no way. Paperwork? Fees too much. On the plane, you're going back. I mean, they paid all that money. They'd, they'd come that far. They put so much in. Like, like fees would not be too much. If God gave up his own son, how will he not graciously give us all things, it says? He did the cross and we're worried. He goes, no, no, no. Look what I did to rescue you, to redeem you. Now, what are the all things? He's going to give us all things. Look back at verse 28. I, I think it's connected to that. Look at verse 28. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things, there's that word again, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All the things necessary, all things necessary to make us like Jesus, to get us to our destination, all those things. God says, I've, I've got you covered. I mean, that should lead us to worship. That should encourage our weary hearts. That should give us a boldness in our mission. That why would God put in that kind of investment into you and then not supply what you need to accomplish his purposes? Why would he, why would he, why would he rescue you from sin, but then not give you help in life's struggles? Why would he give you the Holy Spirit but then withhold wisdom for, for life decisions. God gave up his son. Listen, he didn't just give up his son to purchase you, but to redeem you. And he doesn't want to, he's, he's not going to let that investment go to waste. So, so when you're faced with trials, you, you pray, God, I, I, I know you're at work. I know you've redeemed me. I know that you've saved me for your purposes. And you begin to remember the covenant promises of God's grace over you. One of my favorite verses is, is Luke 12, 32. It says this, it says, fear not little flock for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
I love that verse. Fear not. I mean, I need to hear that a lot. Don't you need sometimes just like, just to, to hear the creator of the universe say, fear not. He says, fear not little flock. That's encouraging and it's humbling, right? He's, he calls us a, a little flock. So, so here, here's the thing. We're not a big little, all right? And, and, and we're a flock. We're sheep. And, and, and if you read anything about sheep, you know that sheep aren't the brightest of animals. They're, they're super helpless. They don't have claws. They don't have, they don't have sharp teeth. They, they have a really comfortable sweater. I don't know if that's helpful to defend yourself, right? <laughs> they can't bite. They can't fly. They can't kick. They can't camouflage themselves. They can't do anything. They are, they are so defenseless. I think there's a reason why there's not one professional sports team that calls themselves the sheep, Right? We're the giants. We're the tigers. Oh yeah, we're the sheep. (laughs) Sheep need to be led everywhere. Sheep will eat the wrong thing. They'll go in the wrong direction. If, If as a sheep, if you end up in the right place, it's not because the sheep has done some awesome thing. They've got this great wisdom and skill. If they end up in the right place, it's completely by the compassion and leading of their shepherd. And so we can come at life and say, God, I'm just a sheep and I'm a weak little one at that. But I'm a sheep that you've invested your life in. So guide me, lead me, help me. Lord, I'm, I'm gonna seek your kingdom first. I'm gonna trust in you with all my heart and in all my ways. I'm gonna acknowledge you and, and I'm trusting you're going to direct my path. I love how your shepherd says, fear not. It's my good pleasure. God's not begrudgingly doing this. He's not saying, okay, I guess I'll give you what you need. He's not doing it out of obligation. He he loves it. He enjoys it. It's his good pleasure. Like a father that gives his child a gift and then just so enjoys seeing the child love that gift. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom because here's the truth. He's not just a shepherd. He's not just your father. He's the king so in all that, to, to know that you have this shepherd, this father, this, this, this king, you can answer this question, who can be against us? Who would I fear? Second question, verse 33, says this, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. There's a second question, who can condemn us? Who can condemn us? Now, now there's another question where you can say, mm, I got a list. There's a lot of people who, who I could say condemn me. Maybe for you, it's like my, my, my parents condemn me. My, my teachers condemn me. My, my boss, my friends, my spouse, myself, that, that, that you would spend time speaking condemnation over yourself. And Paul is saying, listen, God declares you're not condemned. You're not guilty. And, and there's no higher court to appeal to. When God says you're justified, when he says you're free, when that gavel has come down, I mean, case closed. You're free. I mean, really the answer to that question, who, who can condemn? Who can bring a charge against me? I mean, all of Romans is leading up to that. All of, all of chapter eight leading up to that, that, that answer, who, who can condemn me? And, and the only one who can condemn you is God. And God's saying, I don't condemn you. I'm the righteous judge and I don't condemn you. Why is Paul so so sure of that, so confident of that. 
He says, it's Christ Jesus, the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Jesus took my condemnation. He he died in in my place, taking my sin. He rose again in victory. And now now it says he's he's the one praying for me, interceding for me. Jesus standing in my place. Another word for that is Jesus is my advocate. He's my defense lawyer in the courtroom. Because the Bible says very clearly that, that, that we stand before a righteous, holy judge before the court of heaven, that, that we are guilty. But in that courtroom, if, if you're a Christ follower, if you've trusted in, said, I, I'm not trusting in anything else, I'm turning, I'm repenting, I'm saying, no, I don't put my hope in anything else, but it's in Christ alone, in his death, his resurrection. That's my heart, that's my life, that's my hope. That in the courtroom, Jezus now stands as your advocate, and, and that's huge. Because if you're honest, that, that, that condemnation, and you feel that sting some days, do you not? I mean, for some in this room, you, you may say, man, it's, it's ongoing for me, the, the shame, the doubt. And, and there are moments where your mind and heart are invaded by that, that voice in the courtroom that says, who are you? You're worthless, you're dirty, you're unloved, you're unlovable. And, and we can try to fight that ourselves. But in that courtroom, in the courtroom, is, as that, those words are spoken over us, you can look around and go, yeah, all the evidence is stacked against me. But it's in that moment that you see Jesus in the midst of all the mess. And he's saying, I'm standing for you. And then as a lawyer in that courtroom, listen, Jesus' case is bulletproof. Jesus is not begging for mercy from the judge. His case is so better than that. Jesus is actually appealing to justice. Because here's how I used to imagine the courtroom scene. I would imagine that, that I walk into the courtroom again and, and, and I'd, I'd, I'd come in and there'd be this huge case file with my name on it. And Jesus would beg for mercy. Okay, Father, here's Kai again. He's coming again. I know, 591st time he's been in here for that very same sin but he's a good guy. So please, 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 please. I mean, after all, you owe me because I went to earth for you. And, and, and my mind would be like, man, man, when do I reach the end of God's patience? When does God say, listen, I had this much for you, this much, but, but this last thing you did, no, it puts you over the top. You're going to pay for this one. And, and I would think, man, man, yeah, Jesus might be a great lawyer, but he doesn't have a very good case. And I, I, would, I would rest and maybe God is so merciful, he'll let me off with a light sentence. But the Bible teaches us that's not what's going on in the courtroom at all. Jesus Christ has an absolutely watertight case that he would stand in that courtroom and say, Father, I represent my brothers and sisters and they've sinned. The evidence is clear, they're guilty. And as a righteous and good judge, a judge who is just, he says the wages of sin is death. That's the penalty. And Jesus would stand in that courtroom and say, but see, see my blood. See the cross. There's the payment. And Father, because you're just, you you can't take two payments for the same sin. The case is closed. Jesus doesn't plead for our mercy. He asks for justice. And so you can walk out of the courtroom with no worry anymore. You don't have to worry, man, will more evidence be found? Will the judge change his mind? No, no, no. You're fully free. The only one who can condemn you is the one who died for you, was raised for you. 
who's at the right hand of God right now, far from, con- from condemning you, Jesus is actually praying for you. So I love the very first verse of chapter eight. Look what it says. Verse one of chapter eight, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, that, that, that truth is, is the rock solid foundation for joy. It's why we sing that song, when Satan tempts me to despair and, and tells me of the guilt within upward, I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Sin can't condemn you any longer. Your past can no longer condemn you. People can't condemn you. Satan can't condemn you. Listen, you can't condemn you. So so why do Christians go about as joyful people? Because we're freed people. We're liberated people. We've been set free. That's the fuel for our worship. It's the, the fuel for our encouragement on those hard days. I love what D.A. Carson says. He says, I'm not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. (laughs) Right? It's the fuel for our boldness because it's the greatest news ever. And I mean, to to recognize here that, that it's Christ who's interceding for us, who's praying for us. Imagine every day as you walk out for your day to go face the day you're about to face. And as you're leaving your home, you look behind and you see Jesus in your living room on his knees, praying for you as you go out for your day. Man, I wouldn't fear anything knowing that. Understanding that God is, is more committed to you than you are to him, that, that he's got you, that, that he's going to hold you fast, that, that the one who, who began a good work in you will, will bring it to completion. Here's the third question. Third question is this, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Now, Paul really gets going here. Like, like it almost feels like as he's asking these questions and, and, and getting the answer, like he's getting more and more fired up. He hits the last one. And it's like, his heart is fully engaged. He, he's the one with the loudest voice in the worship service, hand raised, high-fiving people around him. Let me listen, listen to what he says in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or, or the sword? He's saying, who can separate us from God's love? And then he gives some really great possibilities. Maybe it's tribulation. Maybe distress can. Maybe outward trouble can or inward trouble can. And he says, no, none of this. And in those moments when you're facing that kind of, of trouble in your life, you come back to Romans 8, you hear, you hear this promise louder than the voice of the trials. None of this can separate us. Not persecution, not nakedness, not danger, not sword. I mean, persecution to the extreme is what Paul's laying out for us. And, and you got to understand, Paul's not an armchair quarterback. He's not a guy who's just talking about supposed things that could, could come into your life. I mean, he faced every single one of those. And to know that none of those can separate you from God's love. I mean, it, it lifts our heart in worship, does it not? It encourages us. It, it, it sends us out and boldens us for the mission. There's a story of, of George Whitfield. He was one of the greatest preachers during, during the time of the, of the Great Awakening in the 1700s. And there's a story of, of him. He would, he, would, he would go preach in the outdoors and, and just tons of people come listen to him preach. But while he was preaching, it actually says this. He says that he started preaching. It says, soon a hell of stones, dirt, rotten eggs, and pieces of dead cats pelted the preacher. They're throwing dead cats. I mean, I can respect a dead cat, but seriously, throwing dead, like, 
Can you, uh, unbelievable. It gets worse. It gets worse. It says this, a clown climbed up on a man, a clown climbed up on a man's shoulders and tried to slash Whitfield with a whip. Another clown climbed up a tree to expose himself. Everyone laughing at Whitfield. I'm like, where are all these clowns coming from? Right? All of this going on. Whitfield continuing to preach about God's grace. Why? Because look at verse 37. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're more than conquerors. I, mean, I love that. How, how, how are you more than a conqueror? I love how John Piper says it. A conqueror defeats the enemy, he says, and, and the purpose of the enemy. But one who's more than a conqueror makes the enemy now serve his purposes. So listen to what, what Paul's saying here. He says he, he uses all of these things, all of these things that, that God now takes the things that, that should be, you would think that, man, these things are going to take me out. And Paul's saying, no, no, God now even takes those things for his purposes in your life. Even the trials and the affliction. God takes what the enemy is using, trying to use to destroy you. But in, instead of separating you from the love of Christ, it's actually accomplishing the purposes of God in our lives. Verse 37, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. I love that verse, loved us, past tense. It's, it's, it's a statement over you that's happened. It's, it's talking again about the cross. The one who loved us, the one who gave himself for us. So apart from Jesus, we, we, we're, we don't conquer. A, apart from Jesus, we're, we're actually crushed by trials. But, but Christ in us and Christ through us, we're more than conquerors. Because underneath all those trials, there's this satisfaction that we can have that, that, that Jesus gives you a joy that the world looking in won't understand. That in the midst of trials, this is what I love uh, when you, you hear these testimonies of, of somebody going through the darkest, deepest trial and they still have this joy about them and the world watching is like, wait a minute, you're going through something that man, uh, I've gone through and it, it, it wrecked me. How come you're not wrecked by this? And, and to be able to say to your testimony, not, hey, nothing ever bad happens to me, but to say in the midst of the trial, it's Jesus. It's not me at all. It's the hope I have in Christ. I skipped a verse there. Look, look at verse 36. It says, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It seems like a weird insert in there, right? He's, he's going on and on about this. It's so amazing that nothing can take us away from the love of Christ. And then all of a sudden he throws something in there going, oh, by the way, you're being slaughtered like sheep. He's quoting from Psalm 44 right there. It's a Psalm. The entire Psalm is about suffering. He's saying, listen, suffering is a normal part of our lives as Jesus followers. And yet, yet listen, if, if right now, if you're living in the midst of a, a Psalm 44 kind of season right now, and Paul's saying, listen, Romans 8 is your answer to your Psalm 44. You're not outside of God's love. If you're in that, that dark place, in the, that depress, desperate, hopeless kind of, of season, like a hey, Psalm 44 kind of season, you're precisely the person that Paul's talking about here, that, that your Psalm 44 is actually being swallowed up by Romans chapter 8. So he's saying, do, do you feel like a sheep that's set to be slaughtered? You're more than a conqueror. Do you feel like, like darkness is your only friend? And Paul says, not even death can harm you. 
God's purposes, they're, they're, they're unchangeable. His, his power, it's, it's unchallengeable. His love, it's unconditional. And so we have nothing to fear. Nothing can touch who you are in Christ. Paul wraps this whole thing up with this amazing burst of praise in verses 38 and 39. He says, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I love that. He goes, death or life, like, like the whole realm of our, of our human experience, nothing can separate us. Angels or demons, like nothing in the spiritual realm can do it. This is things present, things to come, like the events of our past, anything that's happened to us or will happen to us, none of that can separate us. The powers of hell can't separate you anymore. You've been set free. Not, not height, nor depth, nor anything else. Paul's saying like nothing, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. You notice how Paul ends it. From the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The fact that we're in Christ if, if Satan wants to do anything to you, he's got to get through Christ first. I mean, he tried that. He tried to go through Jesus. It didn't go so well for him, right? He thought he'd won at the cross. And on the third day, Christ raises from the dead to, to defeat Satan. Satan completely devastated in that moment. And, and so now there's nothing that can happen to you in this world. Nothing apart from God's grace and his mercy and his love and his power and his sovereignty in your life. You're completely secure in him. Nothing to fear. You, you, you can step out on life in mission, knowing that, that any suffering that you have, God's in control of that. God's not going to let go of his son, so he's not going to let go of me because I'm in his son. Nothing can separate me from the grip of God's amazing grace. That's the good news of the gospel of grace in our lives. That's the Christian life. That Romans 8, 31 is, is, is really true. Sorry, 8, 1 is really true. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That God really is for us. And so my prayer is this, as we walk out of here this morning, that these verses lift you to worship. That if you're in the midst of discouragement, these verses would be an encouragement for you in the midst of your trials. That, that they would give you a boldness to, to go out of here on mission that that felt love, like this is for real, would make you this heroic Christ follower. It would embolden you, it, it would free you, it would cause our hearts to soar in worship. Like, let me get you to stand right now. We're gonna respond in worship. I'm gonna pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. Lord God, there is so much in our culture right now that has such a loud voice. God, whether it's those that we do life with, whether it's social media, whether it's anything, God, there's this, this voice that can speak condemnation over us, that can speak fear over us, that can speak defeat over us, and yet we come to these verses and recognize there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no separation for us any longer. There's no condemnation, no separation. There's no defeat. That God, that even, even in the trials, you're using even those to turn 
what Satan meant for evil, now you're meaning it for good. And so God, I pray that as we reflect on those covenant promises, God, knowing that we are weak sheep, that none of this is because of us, that God, we be humbled, but not just humbled, filled with joy, filled with confidence because of you, Lord Jesus that we wouldn't be able to respond with, with just hearts kind of engaged in worship, but knowing this truth that we would be so fully engaged in a worship that isn't just singing here, but a, a worship that changes how we live. Lord God, that in the midst of trials, although we don't want them, God, we have a hope that goes deeper than the trial, a joy that can't be touched. Lord God, you'd use us for the mission you've called us to because we can step out knowing we are more than conquerors all because of you, Jesus, all because of your name, all because of your sacrifice. And so we lift your name even now in worship. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.